Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello and welcome to Fast Gas by Donut Media. I am your host, James Pumphrey. And I'm your host, Nolan Sykes. Past Gas is an automotive history podcast. Nolan and I are going to tell you the stories behind your favorite cars, automotive figures, racers, racetracks, and everything in between. If you're already familiar with Donut, thank you so, so much for joining us on our first podcast. If you've never heard of Donut Media, we make car videos for the internet. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. Um, and Instagram. And Instagram. All of those places are Donut Media. Just Google us. <laughs> Videos <laughs> are great. We love them. Hell, they pay our rent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we decided we wanted to tell longer stories than we're used to. What's great about podcasts is that you can pretty much talk for as long as you want. And if you know me, then you know Big Bro loves to talk. <laughs> You sure do, James. <laughs> I just want to, Nolan wrote this intro. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I love it. Fast Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about ports. Hey guys, welcome to the Past Gas Podcast. If you like Past Gas, please help us grow by giving us a good rating and a nice review on the podcast platform of your choice. It'll really help us out, and I really appreciate that. So, thank you. All right, now for the show. All right, so uh, this week on Past Gas, we are starting our four-part series on Ford versus Ferrari at Le Mans, one of the most famous stories in all of auto racing. To really understand the rivalry and what makes it so great, you first have to know the story of Enzo Ferrari. So that is what we're going to do today. I just want to make it very clear. I do not like Enzo Ferrari. I can probably name any Nissan on the road. I can I can bore you to death. Talk to hours about engine codes and chassis codes for Volkswagens and Hondas or whatever. I couldn't name a Ferrari. I don't like the guy. He's a dick. I'm hoping by the end of this episode, you'll at least have 
some respect for the man. Uh, our source He's for a this very Voldemort type character, in my opinion. But how did he get that way? That's, mm. that's what we're going to find out. Ooh. I don't know why my voice the is like this. The story of Tom Riddle. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, it really is. Um, <laughs> our source for this episode is Enzo Ferrari, Power, Politics, and the Making of an Automotive Empire by Luca Del Monte. This biography right here, which I'm holding, is almost a thousand pages long um, and is considered the definitive biography on Enzo Ferrari. Fun fact, there's only one copy of it in the entire L.A. County library system. I just want to point out that we told Nolan he could purchase the book on Amazon, but he is supporting the library system, and I respect That's right. the F out of that. Thank you, Nolan. Anyway, without further ado, this is Past Gas, Episode 1, The Rise of Ferrari. Enzo Anselmo Giuseppe Maria Ferrari was born in Modena, Italy on February 20th, 1898. Wow. Or was he? What? <laughs> Hardcore Ferrari fans might know his birthday as February 18th, as that's what Enzo himself said it was. So, why does his date contradict the official documentation by two whole days? He's already starting out with controversy. <laughs> Is he one day old? Is he two days old? We don't know. Well, as Enzo told it, on the day of his birth, Modena was besieged by a monstrous snowstorm. The snowfall was so bad that Enzo's father, Alfredo, could not make the walk to the city's registrar office and document his son's birth. He had to wait until the 20th to make the trip, thus the discrepancy. But... It gets even weirder, <laughs> because, because records show that on February 18th, 1898, there was no snow at all, and Enzo's birth registration was actually done by the family's midwife on February 24th, almost a week after Enzo says he was born. Uh, what, what the heck? He's a liar. Actually, there is a good reason for this. Italy in the late 19th century was not a great place to be born. Live? Sure. I've been to Modena. I went there with Jesse. Jesse's in this room. It was a great place to live, yes, but one in five children at the time would not live to see their fifth birthday, and infants were especially prone to passing away shortly after birth. I think it had something to do with the mafia. It's <laughs> likely that his parents waited to make sure that their baby boy Enzo would survive the first week of being alive before registering with Modena, and that they weren't exactly forthright with Enzo about this as a kid. I mean, that makes sense. You don't want to say, like, Actually, your birthday is two days earlier. Babies die all the time. Yeah. And we weren't sure that you weren't going to die. What would you do with that information? As a baby? Well, no, like if they told you when you're like 16 or whatever. I think my, like my reaction would be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, is, so when, when do I get cake? Yeah. That, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> when do I get my $15 check from grandma? <laughs> Yeah, I got like $10 checks. But, you know, I mean, like as a kid, that's like, that's a lot for a kid. But a check though, like when you're like nine years old, mm -hmm. I think, how am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> I mean, I think it's kind of fun. It turns it into an activity. Going you know, to the bank. Going to the bank. Getting you know, a lollipop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Luca, the author of our source, believes that Enzo really was born on February 18th and a clerical error or some other mix-up by the city has it listed. Sure. Blame the, the city. Blame everybody but Enzo. <laughs> this guy is an Enzo apologist. Also, 
Who cares? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my birthday is March 19th. And if like my parents were like, if my parents said, hey, your birthday is March 21st, but actually you're born on March 19th, I'd be like, all right, what is easier for everybody? <laughs> As an adult, I wouldn't be like, well, actually, um, actually, I came into the world two days earlier. The city where Enzo grew up was old as frig. Modena's first walls were built 224 years before Jesus was born and 170 years before Keith Richards. Nice. <laughs> Keith Richards is old. Yep. Enzo lived with his parents and older brother in a two-story house attached to a machine shop. Alfredo Ferrari was a metal worker who moved to Modena after marrying his wife, Enzo's mom, Adelgisa Bisbini. <laughs> Adelgisa Bisbini. Adelgisa Bisbini. He found work at a foundry. After saving up some money, he opened his own shop, Construzioni Machinici Alfredo Ferrari. Which means construction machine, Alfredo Ferrari. Nice. After the birth of their first son, Dino. Dino? Dino. Yep. That's a cool name. Yeah. I might name my kid Dino. Dino's cool. Dino Pumphrey. I like it. After the birth of their first son, Dino, Alfredo decided to build a house. Alfredo didn't want to be far from work, so he built a two-story, four-room addition on the side of his shop where his family would live. The first floor was a storage area and entrance to the shop, and the second floor is where the Ferraris would live. Yeah, <clears throat> I think I remember reading in the book that Alfredo also had like a viewing window from his living room, so he could like eat lunch or whatever. This makes so much sense. Yeah, and then watch, like look into the shop while he was like out of the shop. This is Enzo Ferrari's dad. Yeah, this, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, was it just because he like loved the machinery, or was it he didn't trust his employees? I just think. He just didn't want to be far like he loved the work. Yeah, he loved the work probably had to keep there's probably some employees that he's like uh, Tony over there and Tony <laughs> I do not <laughs> trust him as far as I could throw him. Yeah, <laughs> just slurping <laughs> and you're you're Tony like working at like a bench or whatever and you just like look up <laughs> What is his problem? Why he always look at me like that? <laughs> Tony I hate all these smells. <laughs> um, Enzo and his brother Dino would share a bedroom for 17 years. <laughs> Do you think they would just like stay up at night and be like, hey, Dino, what you want to be when you grow up? It's like, I want to be a pilot. <laughs> what do you want to be, Enzo? I want to be a great race car man. <laughs> and I want to build the cars that are fastest than all of the other cars. And Dino's like, that's way cooler than being a pirate. <laughs> Enzo wasn't a troublemaker per se, but he wasn't a pushover either. Being Italian, it was expected that Enzo would go with his family to church, which in Ferrari's case was Santa Caterina. Enzo didn't like church. One day during confession, Enzo confessed to a ton of stuff that a kid would normally do, like fighting with his brother you know, not cleaning his room, whatever, kid stuff. Apparently, the priest didn't like this and scolded the little Enzo for minutes. Enzo. <laughs> Literal minutes yeah, of scolding. Minutes. How did he ever get, I'm, it's, obvious, it's obvious why this made it into the book. Yeah. 
Yeah, where'd they get this? <laughs> <laughs> the priest's account. Yeah. I, th- I mean, this guy like literally went to Modena and interviewed everyone. Anyway, Enzo said this was the last time he went to church at five years old. It's probably probably because of my own ignorance and preconceived notions about Italy, but I was actually pretty surprised to learn that Enzo was not a particularly religious man. Mm. Enzo saw his first car when he was five years old. The automobile in question was a De Dion Bouton. The Dion Bouton was purchased by Alfredo as a family car. De Dion Bouton was one of the largest auto manufacturers in the world at the time, producing over 2,000 cars by 1904. With production numbers that low, cars were still somewhat of a novelty in Europe, with only 28 of them being registered in Modena alone. Like any other siblings, Enzo and Dino were fierce competitors growing up. Inspired by the London Olympics in 1908, the Ferrari brothers used a tape measure from Alfredo's shop to mark out a 100-meter course on a dirt road behind the shop. Enzo and Dino would race neighborhood kids and, more importantly, each other down the makeshift course. Dino, being older and stronger than Enzo, always won. And Enzo was like, I'm gonna win. (laughs) Fun fact about the 1908 Olympics, they were opened by King Edward VII, who apparently had a habit of smoking 20 cigarettes (laughs) and 12 cigars a day. He was just constantly pooping. (laughs) That wasn't in the book. I had to look. I I just wanted to know something cool about him and found that. When Enzo was 10 years old, he witnessed something that would change his life and by extension, the entire automotive world forever. His first automobile race. Now, it's important to note that racing in 1908 was not like it is today. Racers of the early 1900s competed on dirt roads in the countryside, usually blasting through a town or two. Circuits were 20, 30, and 40-mile-long courses around the Italian countryside. There were no seating areas or safety barriers for spectators. People would just line up on the side of the road and hope that they didn't get mangled by a crashing automobile. Standing next to the track and witnessing the cars fly by at top speed awoke something within Enzo. He described it as a spark. That is when I first felt my spark. Before going to the races, Enzo had very little interest in cars, despite the fact that his family now had two of them. But that all changed that fateful day. At 10 years old, Enzo now knew what he wanted. He wanted to race. But that would have to wait because in April of 1915, Italy entered World War I. Italy had unified in 1859 and had not had the time to industrialize like some of its allies and adversaries. So when it came time to mobilize, Italy called on her citizens to do anything they could to help. Factories were restructured for war material manufacturing and families gave up their automobiles for use on the battlefield. The Ferraris were one such family. Dino had volunteered to fight and would drive the family Diato sedan. Now converted for ambulance duty, Enzo was too young to enlist, instead serving as a machine instructor at an ammunitions factory. Yeah, so even though he was like 16, he had enough experience working in his dad's shop mm-hmm. that they were like, you know how to use these machines, right? And he's like, oh, yeah. So, and then he taught adults who couldn't fight how to use these things. Can you imagine if we went to war and they were like, hey, Humphrey, can we use your Tiguan? Yeah. <laughs> can we use your Tiguan to carry wounded guys off the battlefield? <laughs> no. 
No, you could. I support the troops. In Dino's absence, Enzo would be helping his dad a lot more around the house. Unfortunately, though, Alfredo, uh, Enzo's father, fell ill with an intense case of pneumonia. Just three days later, Alfredo had passed away. Unfortunately, the tragedy didn't end there either. Dino had also succumbed to pneumonia on the front line, a fate shared by many World War I combatants. He was just 20 years old. That's sad. Yeah. The passing of both Enzo's father and brother in the same year was devastating. To keep himself from spiraling into depression, Enzo needed a hobby. I need to find something to do with my hands, to keep my mind off the fact that my brother and my father both die in the same year. Crazy. That is crazy. Um, <clears throat> before Alfredo passed away, he replaced the Diato Dino had taken to war with another car, a Caesar. Uh, I couldn't find any pictures of it, but Enzo had earned his driver's license a few months before Dino died, and now he was going to put that license to use. To pass the time and to escape his grim reality, Enzo would drive up mountain passes uh, and time himself, becoming obsessed with beating his personal bests. Well, it's pretty cool. In the meantime, World War One had ended. <laughs> <laughs> World War One had ended in Italy on November fourth, nineteen eighteen. It's estimated that around six hundred thousand Italians had lost their lives, and more than a million had been wounded. It was a pretty bad situation. But through the devastation came at least one positive. Italy discovered that cars were really useful. You had hundreds of thousands of soldiers who had seen the utility of automobiles firsthand, and now they wanted that same practicality in peacetime. The demand for cars was real, and our boy Enzo wanted in. I want in. <laughs> so, Enzo is 20 years old now and needs to leave Modena. With encouragement from his mom, he leaves for Turin in hopes of getting a job at a little company called Fiat. I think you've heard of it. You ever heard of it? He doesn't get the job. Instead, he lives off his savings in a small apartment until finding work in a shop that converts trucks used in the war into sedans for civilian use. So, essentially, the exact opposite yeah. of what they what they did for wartime. They like took the cars, made them war machines, and then turned them back into cars. Wow. Enzo's job was to tune the chassis before the bodywork was put on. Enzo was finally in the industry, but the work was unfulfilling. However, it did get him thinking about opening up a shop of his own. A few months later, Enzo was offered a mechanic job in Milan on an actual racing team called Construzioni Meccaniche Nazaro, or CMN, as we're going to call it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to call it that. <laughs> They were a very small outfit and paid Enzo a salary of 400 lire a month, which was good enough for him. He just wanted to work on some cars. I think what happened is like he probably went or they like offered him a job and uh -huh. he probably went into that interview like super hot yeah. and was just like, I want to work for you. And then they're like, this kid really wants to work for us. We could probably offer him 400 lira. <laughs> yeah. And I tried to find how much money that was, but like converting early 1900s Italian money to today's money is a lot harder than it sounds. <laughs> it was enough to save some. So after saving up some money, actually all of his money following a few months of work, Enzo decided it was time to buy his first race car at 21 years old. 
He didn't have enough cash for a new car, but he worked for a race team. So with his savings and money, he pledged from future paychecks, Enzo bought a CMN racer at a steep discount. <laughs> so now they're like, okay, we're paying this kid only 400 lira a month. <laughs> yeah, now we're financing a car. <laughs> and we're garnishing his wages. <laughs> This gets crazy. <laughs> the car was a CMN fifteen twenty. Yeah, fifteen twenty. It had a two point three liter four cylinder engine, making a whopping thirty six hersperz, capable of a blistering fifty miles per hour, even by nineteen nineteen standards. Enzo's quote unquote new car was slow, but that didn't matter to Enzo. He was on his way. To achieving the dream he had had since he first saw those race cars with his dad so many years before. Enzo Ferrari would be a race car driver. We'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. His first race was on October 5th, 1919. The Parma Poggio. That's probably the Parma Poggio de Berseto. I'm trying my best here. <laughs> <laughs> was a 32-mile road from the plains of Parma to the rolling hills of Bolzio de Boceto. There were 38 racers entered and 500 cars full of spectators showed up to watch, parked on the side of the gravel road just like Enzo had done with his pops. Enzo enlisted the help of a stranger to be his ride-along mechanic, because the rules said you couldn't race without one, and I assume he didn't have any friends. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid race. <laughs> it's like um, like in uh, Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Like He's like, oh, you need a caddy. And he's like, hey, you. Yeah. It's just like it's Happy <laughs> Gilmore. Enzo finished fifth in his class and 12th overall. Honestly, for a 21-year-old kid with an old underpowered car and a stranger <laughs> as his partner, <laughs> that's not half bad. And everybody else thought the same. Here was this dude that came out to the course on his own, did all of his own work, drove his own car, and did pretty good for his first time out. Enzo had a natural talent for racing. His main disadvantage was his lack of resources. Racing at the time, and let's be frank, even racing today, was dominated by wealthy gentlemen racers who could afford to buy the fastest cars. Enzo was still in debt to his employer, <laughs> CMN, to keep his car. That's like if if Donut didn't pay us like any money, and then they were like, we have these computers yeah. uh, <laughs> and these cameras, you can finance them from us. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cheap. 
Enzo drove only one more race in the CMN before trading it in for an Izata Frascini. You're so good at pronouncing yep. stuff. I'm just. Why don't you just pronounce all the Italian stuff right. from here on out? So <laughs> he traded in the CMN for an Izata Frascini, which was also obsolete at that point, but it did have 100 more horsepower. He was able to secure a second place finish at his second Parma de Poggio race. After two races, whereas Isata Fraschini broke down, Enzo did what I can only call the most Enzo Ferrari move ever. He somehow talked his way onto a factory racing team. So Enzo goes to Alfa Romeo's headquarters in Portello, which was a suburb of Milan. He has an appointment with Alfa's sales manager slash racing manager, Giorgio Romini. Enzo got the appointment because at this point, he's one of the best known and certainly most talented amateur racers in Italy, if not all of Europe. Even though he doesn't have any wins, it's pretty obvious that he has skill. Without any financial backing or connections to bring to the table, Mr. Romini gives Enzo a spot on the Alfa Romeo works team alongside teammates Giuseppe Campari and legendary driver Antonio Ascari. In one year, Enzo had gone from driving a clapped-out jalopy from an unknown company to clinching a spot on one of the top teams in the world. That's like... If you were like racing your golf, yeah. say, <laughs> yeah. and then you talked your way on to Mercedes F1 <laughs> in one year. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you put it like that, I sort of understand the scope of what this young man accomplished. It's pretty, that's insane. In Enzo's first race with Alpha, he finished second, a result so devastating to Enzo that he apparently sat in his car after the race <laughs> and, and cried. Vowing to never race again. Uh, didn't even get the first place. <laughs> you stupid. Your legs don't work. Your hands, they don't work. Your eyes, they don't work. They only work for tears. I will never race again. <laughs> A vow he would immediately forget. Just kidding. <laughs> Driving for Alfa Romeo until 1931. Just a kidding. I will go on to race for many, many more years. <laughs> Over his racing... I may have overreacted a little bit. When you look at it, second place is not the first loser. It is actually pretty good. It's the second winner. It's the second winner. <laughs> it's a podium. <laughs> I got the dish. They gave me the champagne and cheered me right up. Over his racing career, Enzo earned nine overall victories of the 36 races he entered, as well as seven class wins. In 1929, Enzo is selling Alfa Romeos and occasionally participating in races. Manufacturers are slowly pulling their money out of racing, so some racers are deciding they themselves would own cars and pay their own team while still driving the cars. The term scuderia, meaning stable in Italian, is coined by racer Emilio Materazzi to describe this arrangement. Materazzi? I guess I can say yeah, that. Yeah, you can say it. Materazzi said he chose it because racers have to deal with horsepower and that he couldn't think of anything better. <laughs> uh, chose it, uh, you know, because uh, the car, the way we tell uh, how much power it got uh, mm, is a horse. And uh, where do you keep the horses, bing, bang, boom, you keep them in the scuderia. 
So what uh, what do I call this sort of racing arrangement? Uh, call it where you keep the horse in the house, the scuderia. That is 100% how that happened. Uh, that same year. Yeah, same year. Enzo Ferrari is at a party celebrating the flying 10-kilometer speed world record set by Alfieri Maserati, hosted at the Casa del Fascio, or fascist party house in Bologna. Ooh, yikes. Now, before e. you... <laughs> Uh-oh. Before you get the wrong impression, James, uh, Enzo Ferrari was not a fascist. Yeah, right. <laughs> like his aversion to religion, Enzo had little patience for politics. The party was held at the fascist headquarters because the Italian fascist party would hold every big party there to one, keep it under control, and two, maybe gain some favor among the attendees. But yeah, you're mean, still at a fascist uh, Yeah, you're at a place. fascist thing. And like being, being like, I'm not really into politics, isn't not being into politics. Yeah. It's like. There's stuff going on, yeah. and if you if you don't have an opinion about it, that's the same as having an opinion about it. You exactly. know, what I, mean? I agree with that. Anyway, Enzo was talking with his racing buddies like he did, and they were complaining about the rising cost of racing—a thing that has never stopped <laughs> ever. <laughs> it's just like keeps going up. The manufacturers they relied on to pay their entry fees and travel costs weren't footing the bill anymore. And since rich guys love getting stuff for free, it's true, we do, <laughs> this was a travesty. Ferrari heard their complaints and had an idea. He would start his own scuderia or horse house. But his would be a success. Enzo noticed a distinct... So what? what's going to make your scuderia different than all the other scuderias? Well, mine will be successful. <laughs> I like this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Enzo noticed a distinct lack of long-term planning by existing scuderias who were mostly concerned with making it to the next race. FD. <laughs> a lot of scuderias were run by gentlemen racers who had no organizational skills and little insight into the inner workings of the auto industry. Enzo, being an Alfa Romeo dealer himself, had both of these things. He proposed that he start his own Scuderia using funds from racers Alfredo and Agosto Caniato, who had made their money in hemp. Oh, yeah, dude. I'm surprised that all his cars are red and not green, baby. (laughs) Not just like them sticky buds. Uh, Then Enzo's team would buy race cars from Alfa Romeo through Enzo's dealership at wholesale prices. He sold this idea to Alpha by telling them when his team won, it would be Alfa Romeo's that won. But when he lost, it would be his Scuderia that lost. They liked the sound of that. I don't know why I went into the Joker voice there. <laughs> they liked the sound of that. Enzo had also made a deal with Pirelli to s- supply his team with tires, and he was set. So now when I think about it, like, you know, in The Dark Knight when Joker comes in and he's like, you're going to give me all the money. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why would we do that? He's like, because I'm, when I win, then you will win. And when I lose, then I lose. Did he invent sponsors? Were there sponsorships before this? I mean, yeah, I think like, as we mentioned earlier, like auto manufacturers are like, oh, this is cool. Like we're still kind of small companies kind of, but like we should, these racers who are making us look really good, we should pay for their entry fees. But then like there's during that weird growth spurt. Mm-hmm. They're kind of it was it wasn't really paying off for them, and they 
I mean, it was still just dudes driving around in the countryside. So, yeah, they kind of stopped. The team met in the offices of attorney Enzo Levi. Levy? Uh, I think Levy was probably the Italian pronunciation. The team met in the offices of attorney Enzo Levy and drafted up a contract. The express purpose of their group was, quote, purchasing racing automobiles of the Alfa Romeo brand and participating with them in races that are part of the national racing calendar and of the calendar of the National Association of the Automobile Clubs. All this team needed was a name. Enzo wanted it to be called Scuderia Mutina, the old Italian name for Modena, the city that he was from. Mm -hmm. But the Caniatos thought that name was lame. And Enzo Levy pleaded with Enzo Ferrari to consider the name they wanted. Scuderia Ferrari. (laughs) (laughs) The horse was born. Audio truly is an amazing medium. (laughs) I'm having a blast. (laughs) Now, to Enzo's partners, it looked like Enzo was doing exactly what he promised, setting up what was basically an LLC whose business was letting rich guys race. But Enzo had a different plan that he kept secret from the rest. I knew he was a sneak. I knew. I was, you know what? I'm going to be honest. I was getting drawn in. He's a very charming man with a great story, but I knew from the beginning he was a rat. (laughs) (laughs) That he kept secret from the rest of Scuderia Ferrari. Alongside making all those sweet deals with Alpha and Pirelli, Enzo also made a deal with former champion Giuseppe Campari to come race with him after Campari's contract with Alfa Romeo was up. When the Caniato brothers learned about this, they were a little surprised. Why did the team need a pro driver if the whole point was to make it easier for weekend warrior rich guys to race. Well, Enzo told them that having Campari on the team would draw a lot of media attention, which was a chip Ferrari could use when negotiating new deals with sponsors. The Caniatos totally bought this and didn't question it, but the real reason Enzo hired Campari was much bigger. Enzo had a plan to turn Scuderia Ferrari into the premier name in Italian motorsports. Using the funds from the Scuderia Ferrari's Richie Rich Racer board members, Enzo bought a new shop space that could triple as his Alfa Romeo dealership, race workshop, and apartment space for him and his wife, Laura. Laura? Laura, yeah. Hmm. It's kind of bland. (laughs) He also went to the bank and got a million lira loan without having any collateral (laughs) back. How did he do this? (laughs) Hey, uh, (laughs) buddy. (laughs) You're going to give me the money. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the time that he talked his way onto the Alpha team a few years back. Enzo just had a gift for getting people to give him stuff that he wanted. I mean, ask Laura. <laughs> <laughs> he hired young mechanics to work in his shop and purchased the race cars from Alfa Romeo. Scuderia Ferrari was ready to race. Ooh. Their first race was at the world-famous Milli Miglia, a 1,000-mile road trip across the Italian peninsula. They go from the top of the boot to the bottom. The Milli Miglia was the biggest race in Italy at the time, and the best racers in Europe were behind the wheel. Three out of the four cars Ferrari entered 
didn't finish. But Enzo didn't think his amateur paid drivers had a very good shot at winning anyway, so this loss didn't really discourage him. Okay, guy gets second place in his first race ever. He cries in his car and vows to never, ever do it again. Three out of four of his cars, that's 75% of his cars don't finish. This guy's got mental problems. It's called growth, I think. Oh, yeah, maybe he's a little bit more more mature. Maybe Laura is good for him. Mm Mm-hmm. However, Scuderia Ferrari did manage to win nine out of the 22 races they entered in the 1930 season, which made both Alfa Romeo and Pirelli pretty happy. Enzo's experiment was looking like a success, a so far. Two years later, in 1932, Enzo is 34 years old and prize money from racing. I'm 34 years old. Enzo is 34 years old and prize money from racing now accounts for a very small part of his revenue. He now had multiple Alfa Romeo dealerships all over the country and was consulting for Alfa Romeo, Pirelli, and an oil company called NAFTA. Uh, the book says he wasn't a wealthy man, but with all those jobs, I can't imagine that he was yeah. uh, uncomfortable either. The only thing that might have shaken him a little bit was becoming a dad. Enzo's Ooh. first son, Alfredo, was born in January of 1932. You might know him better today as Dino Ferrari. Yeah, I named him after my papa, but I called him my brother's name. (laughs) What? (laughs) Scuderia Ferrari proved themselves to be so good that in 1937, Alfa Romeo bought a majority share of the Scuderia in order to beat German rivals Mercedes and Audi. And I think we're going to have to do an episode on them down the line because they just came in and whooped ass, dude. Yeah. 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 Out of nowhere. Anyway. Oh, the Nazis had something to do with it. Those Nazis love just showing up and wrecking house, huh? Mm -hmm. Scuderia Ferrari was now Alpha's official racing division with help from legendary drivers like Tazio Nuvolari. Scuderia Ferrari was renowned throughout Europe with Enzo at the helm. But the good times wouldn't last long. The 1937 season was a disaster. Scuderia Ferrari had their asses handed to them by the Germans and Alpha wasn't happy. After an absolute failure of a season, Alfa Romeo dissolved Scuderia Ferrari. As the book recounts, the sun set on Scuderia Ferrari, who had participated in 225 races with 715 cars, earned 144 wins and 171 podiums. Enzo left Alfa Romeo in 1939 after 20 years of service to the company. And then, little thing called World War II happened. In the early stages of the war, Enzo opened a new shop. The terms of his departure from Alfa Romeo included a clause that he couldn't name any new car company after himself, so Ferrari could not call his cars Ferraris. His new company would be called Auto Avio Construzione, based in where else but Modena. Unfortunately, the fascist Italian government led by Benito Mussolini decided they needed Enzo's shop more than Enzo did. So... He moved the shop to Maranello, where they would build hydraulic grinders. Racing pretty much stopped in Europe during the duration of World War II. But soon after the defeat of the Axis powers, Enzo got back to work building a new company, and more importantly, a car for the road. We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. 
Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. At this point, Enzo was obsessed with 12-cylinder engines. His idol, Antonio Ascari, owned a V12-powered car from the U.S., and since Enzo worshipped the ground Ascari stood on, his car had to have a V12, too. Never mind that most people thought they were obsolete and needlessly complicated. Enzo hired engineer and longtime friend... I think it's... Giochino? Giochino. Longtime friend Giochino Colombo to design the engine. By the end of construction, the new Ferrari motor made a very respectable 118 horsepower. The mill went under the hood of Ferrari's first car of his design, the Ferrari 125S. Nolan and I have actually seen this car in the Peterson Museum's vault, and uh, it doesn't look like any Ferrari that we know today. It is a thick boy. Mm -hmm. It's basically a brick. How many cars have I designed? One. One, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Pumphrey 1152. The Pumphrey 502. 502, my bad. <clears throat> On the hood of Ferrari's new car was his new logo, a yellow rectangle topped with a green, white, and red strip. In the center, a black, prancing horse joined, yeah. <laughs> joined by the letters S and F. Which stands for? Scuderia Ferrari. Yeah. It stands for? Sick and furious. The yellow Enzo chose was one of the colors of his nav- native Modena. Uh, their city colors were a that yellow, the Ferrari yellow, and uh, some sort of blue. And the horse, well, that's a little more complicated. Horses always are. They are a very beautiful but deep animal. You can tell when you look in their eyes. Mm-hmm. You can only look in one eye at a time. 
So there is this Earl and his countess wife, the Barakas. This Earl was not named Earl. This is the title. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. You're right. Thank you. You're welcome. So, yeah, so yeah, there's, there's this Nolan. <laughs> And he had a wife, and they were called the Sykeses. <laughs> Someday. Uh, their, their son was a pilot in the First World War, and he was killed in action. Uh, the Barakas were huge fans of Enzo and would invite them, or sorry, invite him to their house all the time. One evening in the early 1920s, Lady Baraka pulled Enzo aside and gave him a, a photo of her son with his plane. And her son? Was a horse. <laughs> Enzo, she, she said, if you put my son's prancing horse. Enzo, ho- <laughs> you can if re- you put, Enzo, if you put the, my son's prancing horse on your car, it would bring you luck. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't use it for years and sporadically painted it on his race cars in the Scuderia Ferrari days. But now, Enzo was starting a new company, one he expected to last for decades, he knew this was the time to make it official. Ferrari would be the prancing horse. <laughs> Ferrari produced two 125s. One was the aforementioned S and the other, the 125 Competizione, which shared the S chassis and running gear, but wore different, more aerodynamic bodywork sculpted for the racetrack. In the 125 S's first race, the car broke down because of a failed fuel pump. Enzo called the result a promising failure. It was a loss, sure, but since when had that ever deterred Ferrari, except for that one time when he cried in his car? Right. The 125 entered in 13 more races in 1947 and won nine times. It sounds like the Ferrari of old was back, but Enzo was just getting started, baby. Ooh, keep on rolling, baby. (laughs) One of Enzo's former Alfa Romeo teammates was a guy named Luigi Cinetti. They had become good friends because, like Enzo, Luigi was one of those guys who seemed like he could talk you into doing anything. 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 Give me that to gum. <laughs> what? No, it's my last piece. Give me it. I'm chewing it. <laughs> Give me the gum. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Mr. Cinetti had fled to America during the war to escape the fascists, and upon his return, seeked to reconnect with his old pal, Enzo. Hey, Enzo, I know you were hanging out in Italy with those fascists around, but I had to leave because of that. <laughs> Yeah, I thought those fascists were going to kill me, so I went over to America, bumped around New York for a little bit. Yeah, man. Uh, what have you been up to? Uh, I let the fascists use my factory. Ah, <laughs> oh, cool, 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 cool. It was 1949. Luigi had seen the success of Ferrari's new cars sweeping small events all across Europe. But Luigi thought the prancing horse could set its sights on something bigger. Not just bigger, but the biggest race in the entire world. The 24 Hours of Le Mans. Earlier we talked about how racing was basically just one driver and a mechanic trying to beat the clock. But at this point in time... Racing was more like we know it today. Tons of cars on a track, all at the same time, racing for position. There were still the road rallies like the Milli Meglia that Enzo had cut his teeth on, but those were falling out of favor for the wheel-to-wheel action available on the track. Tracks like Le Mans. If you don't know by now, Le Mans is a 24-hour blast through the French countryside that tests both the wills of man 
and machine. We'll get more into it on our next episode, but what you have to know is that Le Mans was and pretty much still is the most epic race in the world, if you don't count off-road stuff. And Luigi wanted Ferrari's help to win. Yeah, to Nolan's point, Le Mans is the coolest race on the entire planet. Like, I like drivers, so I like root for the drivers, but Le Mans is like the Super Bowl. Yeah. Luigi asked Enzo if he could have two cars and eight mechanics for the event, and Enzo said no. Deep down, Enzo didn't believe that his cars were ready. He was still a small outfit, hand-building cars, and Le Mans was for names like, you know, Aston Martin, Bentley, and Delahaye. Delahaye. Mm. However, if Luigi really wanted to race Ferraris at Le Mans, Enzo suggested Luigi could always buy some. <laughs> Listen, my cars, they aren't ready to race. It will be an embarrassment to show up with these small backwards cars. I cannot give you one. But you can buy some for me. (laughs) (laughs) The Ferrari 166MM made 140 horsepower from its triple carbureted 2-liter V12. I bet that thing sounds sick. Yeah, yeah. Small displacement motors with lots of cylinders. That gets my that gets my blood pumping. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, brother. That gets my goat <laughs> going. Uh, the pistons in that engine must have been the size of quarters. Uh, some math for you. <laughs> Divide two liters by twelve cylinders, and each cylinder has a displacement of point one six six liters. Which I mean, that's that's, really small. that's like smaller than a a mini can of soda. I think half right. that's half a beer. It's half a beer? Half a beer. Oh, so okay. it's like, uh, have you ever oh, had so a- Jesse's uh, good at math now, is it? I'm, no, <laughs> Jesse's good at beer now. <laughs> Jesse's always been good at beer. We'll talk about that in another episode. <laughs> That's a four-parter right there. <laughs> Almost ruined, don't <laughs> No, have you ever had one of those little, those tiny Bud Lights, the Azulitas? No. It means little blues? No. It's, that's that. Okay, sweet. Uh, for comparison, a Chevy 350 V8 has 0.716 per liters, or 0.716 liters per cylinder. So yeah, so just imagine a bore of a 350, like that big. Mm-hmm. This It's like that. Yeah, it's like tiny. One point, anyway, the press soon began calling the 166 the Bacchetta, which is Italian for boat, <laughs> because it kind of looked like a speedboat. I mean, I looked at pictures of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like a boat. Come on. Did you look at boats of the day? Oh, no. <laughs> you just looked at modern boats? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, oh, actually, yeah, it looks no, a lot like yeah. a speedboat of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Luigi bought two Ferrari 166s with the help of gentleman racer and second baron Lord Selston Peter Mitchell Thompson and went to Le Mans. One of the Bartettas, driven by a man named Dreyfus, had to retire after a crash caused by problems with the steering. Luigi and the Baron were teamed up in the remaining car. Second Baron, Lord Selston, must have been a little out of shape because he drove for only one of those 24 hours in the race, meaning Luigi drove for the other 23. Even more amazing, Luigi freaking won. I'm gonna win! (laughs) And he did. On June 26, 1949, a Ferrari had taken the top spot at Le Mans with just a little support from Ferrari. It was the push Enzo needed. Hmm. 
maybe they should do Le Mans. I mean, we've already won it. (laughs) (laughs) What was the deal with that second Baron only driving for one hour, though? I think that's like a guy with like some money, like probably like, you know, our landlord. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty fun. Just, you know, go racing. Yeah, it sounds great. We're going to go racing. He probably bought all the clothes. Yep, yep. He bought the like polo shirts. Everyone's with, matching. Yeah, everyone's matching. He's just like really enjoying the cocktail hours. Like, yeah, I'm going to race. Yeah, I'm one of the racers. I own the team and I'm going to race. And then he got in it and he's like, oh, man. I do not like this. <laughs> it's a lot harder than I thought it would be. I'm getting sweaty. My arms hurt. It's hard to breathe in this helmet. I'm just going to, I think I'm going to take more of um an administrative role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll get to make sure the guys are working hard. Uh, Let me get a calzone. <laughs> Around that same time, Enzo had greenlit the design and production of Ferrari's first Formula One car. Up to this point, all of Ferrari's cars, even the ones he raced back in the 20s, were at least based somewhat on cars that were available to the public. Formula One would be different. The Ferrari 125F1 was conceived in 1949 and featured what else but a 12-cylinder engine. On the car's first race out at the 1949 Monza Grand Prix, driver Alberto Ascari, son of Antonio Ascari, won with ease. These guys just coming out of the gate and owning people. Mm-hmm. Ferrari's first official Formula One was at Monaco in 1950. It was the second race of the season. Enzo had chosen not to participate in the first because one, the 125 F1. Oh, sorry, let's clar- clarify. So this race that they won just now with Alberto Ascari, this wasn't a Formula One race. It was just like uh, one of those road races, okay. but they entered a f- F1 car. So they entered an F1 car into a road race and yeah, won. So that's why less that. impressive. Okay. Okay. Let's just that's a good clarification, yeah. Nolan. Thank you. He wasn't racing other F1 cars. He was racing dogs. I assume. Okay. Yeah. Ferrari's first official Formula One race was at Monaco in 1950. It was the second race of the season. Enzo had chosen not to participate in the first one. Because the 125 F1 wasn't quite ready. And two, the first race at Silverstone curiously didn't count for points. After a crash on the first lap that took half of the cars out of the race, Ferrari driver Ascari was able to score a second place finish. One lap behind the winner and Alfa Romeo driver Juan Manuel Banjo. The rest of the season unfolded in a similar fashion, mostly with Alfa Romeo winning a ton of races and Ferrari having a ton of problems with their car. However, that wouldn't last long. Scuderia Ferrari won their first F1 championship in 1952 and won three more before the 50s were over. Their victories in 1956 and 57 were achieved by none other than the driver who had first defeated Ferrari, Juan Manuel Fangio. But not everything at that time was looking up. Enzo's son, Dino, had suffered from muscular dystrophy since he was a child. Enzo tried to make Dino's life as normal as possible. Dino went to school, eventually earning an engineering degree to help with the family business. And in the summer of 56, Dino's condition was so bad that he was essentially bedridden, but he was still eager to help his dad. Dino and Enzo regularly discussed plans for a new, 1.5 liter engine, eventually settling on a 65-degree V6. Then, early one morning, it happened. 
Enzo had been with Dino all night. He'd suffered a cerebral hemorrhage a few days before and fell into a coma for several days. Dino Ferrari passed away at dawn on June 30th, 1956. He was just 24 years old. Understandably, Dino's passing had a profound effect on Enzo. In his journal, he wrote, quote, The match is a lost. I lost to my son, and I have found nothing but the tears. As the book describes, Enzo began wearing black ties as a sign of mourning and would so for years. Unfortunately, death seemed to follow Enzo, at least in the eyes of the press. On July 6, 1958, Ferrari driver Luigi Musso was killed in a crash at the French Grand Prix. He entered the goal corner too fast, flying off track. His car bounced three times through a cornfield before Luigi was ejected on the fourth bounce, killing him. Musso was not the first Ferrari driver to lose their life behind the wheel. In 1955, the son of Enzo's hero and close friend Alberto Ascari died in a Ferrari at Monza. Two years later, Eugenio Castellati. Two years later, Eugenio Castellati lost his life during a Ferrari testing session at Modena, and now Luigi. The press attacked Enzo for losing three Italian drivers in three years. It was such a media uproar that the church got involved. And in Italy, the church means the Vatican, i.e. where the friggin' Pope lives. Three days after Luigi Musso's crash, the Vatican printed a story in their official newspaper with the headline, Industrial Saturn, referring to the ancient Roman god, quote, A modern Saturn become industrial tycoon. He continues to devour his sons. As in this myth, so unfortunately in reality, Luigi Musso is the latest of his victims, around whom once again arises a widespread sentiment of solidarity, and that has only one fault, of never learning from experience, and not realizing how from anyone's consciousness sentient an invocation arise. Up. That's the newspaper <laughs> of the church. <laughs> of the church. That's like, like, uh, what's that Tom Hanks movies? Uh, the the, the, the post? No, no, not the post. <laughs> yeah, angels Ange and demons. Okay. It's like some angels and demons type stuff. Stop it! <laughs> that is the Vatican telling Enzo Ferrari to stop racing and to stop racing and, and to stop building race cars. They essentially gave him a moral ultimatum. Stop racing or you'll kill more people. Of course, the racers who died did so under their own volition. And remember, seatbelts weren't even a thing at the time. These were men who risked their lives every time they got in their cars, and they knew that. But the church thinks they can just come in and tell Enzo to stop? Yeah, right. This ignited a debate all over Italy about the future of auto racing in the country. Fans of racing called Musso a hero for dying, doing what he loved. I hope I die doing what I love someday. In this podcast. <laughs> doing this podcast. Knock on wood so he doesn't. <laughs> Organizations like Italian Sports Authority. Italian Sports Authorities? <laughs> Not the stores. <laughs> <laughs> The Italian sports authorities didn't get involved because they didn't want to clash with the Pope. <laughs> Things didn't get better for Ferrari when Peter Collins, another team driver, died during a race at the Nürburgring. This crash added more fuel to the debate. 
with Jesuit preacher Leonardo Azzolini stepping in, writing, quote, The statement that motor racing is useful to automobile industry is not true. All the big manufacturers have stopped participating because they have nothing to learn from it. He concluded that all motor racing events, either on track or on normal road, any way they are organized, should be stopped. After the end of the 1958 season, Enzo finally stated his rebuttal at a press conference saying, quote, Once upon a time in Italy, motor races were glorified. Then they were accepted. Then tolerated. And today we are under a trial. While the Queen of England invites her world champion driver to dinner. Thus recognizing the value of the motor racing. Enzo then went on to offer his side of the events. He and the Ferrari team had spent weeks analyzing the crashes and came to the conclusion that what caused these deaths were not the cars, though I will say personally they should have had seat belts at <laughs> least, uh, but the primitive safety measures at each of the tracks. It was not the cars, it was at the tracks. In Musso's case... We put in uh, the work, we did the, the study, turns out not my fault. <laughs> yeah. In Musso's case... Enzo blamed the poor track conditions in France. In Germany, the sides of the Nürburgring acted like a springboard and because they were just like like on like a, a bank. Like a bank and then just nothing on the other side. So like if you lost it there, your car is going over. Mm -hmm. And finally, in Eugenio Castellotti's case, the organizers had placed a 40 centimeter high wall at the chicane. So like the kink right there, mm -hmm. and then on <laughs> where if you go off, there's just a wall. Oh, geez. Apparently, Enzo had warned the organizers about this wall, but they told him in public that it, that it was meant to deter drivers who would dare too much at that particular turn, so it just had to stay. So like, hey, um, this wall looks pretty dangerous, and then they're just like, yeah, but if it'll keep... It'll keep people from going too fast. Yeah. To keep people from cutting the corner if we put a, this wall that will kill them there. Mm. Enzo finished his press conference with this quote. Car manufacturers must meet the cost of building new cars. Organizers should bear the cost of the modernization of their racer tracks. I mean, that's a pretty good point. It is a good point. Enzo even met up with that Azzolini guy, the Jesuit preacher, and convinced him to write another... You know, a, a Jesuit preacher is a priest. Okay. You backwoods. I don't know. <laughs> Enzo even met up with Azzolini, the Jesuit priest, and convinced him to write another article about racing safety. And this time, Azzolini completely reversed his stance on the issue, writing that he, quote, uh, I instigated reactions not necessarily saline and objective, and some actually prejudiced. So, like, for is just like, hey, uh, Turns out you don't think what you thought you thought. <laughs> All right. <Yeah. laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> so Enzo and Ferrari had absolved themselves of this whole debacle. But that wasn't the end of trouble for Enzo Ferrari. In the early 60s, Ferrari was going through some tough times financially. But luckily, Enzo had a savior in the form of one Filmer Paradise, the president of the Italian branch of the Ford Motor Company. And that is where we'll continue in part two, Ferrari versus Ford on past gas. <laughs> Woo! 
That was really fun. Yeah, that was really fun. Um, we're going to start doing this every week, uh, probably Fridays. Um, I'm a, you know, Nolan and I reference each other a lot in our videos, but we don't really get to hang out too much. So mm-hmm. this was really, a really, really fun time. It was super fun. Follow us on Instagram at Donut Media. Follow me at James Pumphrey. I am on Instagram at Nolan J. Sykes. Um, if you haven't checked out our YouTube, go ahead and check that out. It's Donut Media. It's so weird. I have, I've never had to plug our YouTube. Right. All of our stuff's on YouTube. Just go keep watching listening to what we do or else we wouldn't be allowed to do it (laughs) thank you you can host the best backyard barbecue when you find a professional on angie to make your backyard the best around connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well inside to outside Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.